Uh, we are continuing in our series on practicing simplicity from the life of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6, verse 25, and we will pick up where we left off last Sunday uh, in the Sermon on the Mount or the Talk on a Mountain. Last week we talked about, well, Jesus talked about, and we unpacked this idea of uh, the dangers of storing up for yourself treasures on earth. And Jesus is going to continue in one seamless teaching from telling us not to store up for ourselves things on earth out of fear and the corresponding problem of worry and anxiety. We pick up in Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus continues, this is what he says. He says, therefore I tell you, in light of everything we talked about last week, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field that is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come to you, uh, many of us, if we're honest this morning, uh, because of the culture that we live in and uh, the time that we live in, uh, even gather this morning with hearts filled with worry and anxiety, uh, hearts oriented toward the future and trying to work out the future by our own means. Uh, and yet we see, Jesus, that you come as Lord, as Savior, as teacher, as rabbi, as the one who wants to apprentice us into a better way of life, into the best way of life, into life that is truly life, as opposed to all the alternatives that we cling to. Uh, would you come now, Lord? Would you challenge us? Would you, would you free us? Would you show us where life is found? In Jesus' name, amen. Every single day, you and I face a barrage of images and messages telling us what we need. And what was a fantasy 20 years ago becomes a luxury item today. And what was a luxury item yesterday then gets redefined as a necessity for today. There are so many things that we think we need. And every time you turn on the TV or jump on social media, lo and behold, you are alerted 
to yet another thing or two things or four things or ten things that you need? Do I need them for my survival? Do I need them to be happy? I'm not sure, but I need them. And hence, our homes are filled with 300,000 items, the vast majority of which we think we need. In reality, Jesus says, you need two things. Not 200,000 things, not 2,000 things, two. You need food and you need clothing. First, Jesus says, you need food. Uh, Not warehouses full of food, not years worth of food. You need food for today. And second, Jesus says, you need clothing or some sort of covering from the elements. Think clothes or even shelter, okay? Uh, Something to to cover you is, is the image there. So, in the warm, dry, Mediterranean climate that Jesus lived in, uh, shelter in the traditional sense of our homes uh, may have been optional. In Spokane, it's not. So, you need food to sustain your body, and you need some kind of covering to protect you from the elements. And that's it. That's what Jesus says you need. Everything beyond that is a want, is a luxury. Now the reality is that billions of dollars are spent every year convincing you and I that our wants are actually needs. And hence, Americans alone spend $1.2 trillion a year on things we don't need. Now, If we really needed hundreds of thousands of items in order to have a good life, then life would actually be very complicated. It would be very burdensome. But Jesus says that the life he asks you to live is actually quite simple. It is, in fact, a light burden. You have two needs, we'll say three, based on the climate that we live in, and Jesus promises to supply those needs. Where does worry come from? Where does anxiety come from? Well, it comes from the belief that life is up to me, that my survival is on my shoulders, that I need to be in control, that I need to manipulate life. Uh, and make my own provision. And, and it comes from this fear that, that if I mess up, if I do something wrong, if I'm not anxious and on my guard, that, then something will happen that will threaten my very existence. This house of cards that's so delicately balanced will come crashing to the grounds if I am not worrying about my life. And ultimately, as it crashes down, the fear underneath the fears is I won't survive. Worry and anxiety are ultimately rooted in our fear of death. But in the day-to-day, as we experience those things, they are centered around what we think we need. 
day in and day out. We are worried about tomorrow. And oh boy, do we know how to worry about tomorrow. Americans are some of the wealthiest people in the world, perhaps the wealthiest in all of world history, and we are the most anxious people in the world, perhaps the most anxious in all of world history. As of 2019, we were already setting records in our country uh, with anxiety uh, rising for uh, roughly 50 years straight and becoming even more acute uh, as we uh, crossed sort of 2010 and beyond. Uh, it began to spike even harder. A majority of Americans, and this is in 2019, a majority of Americans were already reporting anxiety uh, and the numbers and severity of anxiety was consistently rising year over year. And that was pre-COVID. The latest study that I read estimated that 75% of our young people are currently reporting anxiety and related mental health issues. That's three out of every four. It is rare to not be anxious in the culture that we live in. Tens of millions of Americans have been diagnosed with some form of anxiety disorder. Hundreds of millions of prescriptions have been issued for anti-anxiety medication. We are a very anxious people. And what are we worrying about? What are we anxious about? It's not yesterday. It's tomorrow. We're anxious about tomorrow. What if something happens tomorrow? What if I don't have provision tomorrow? What if God stops being God tomorrow? But Jesus understood the human heart better than anyone who has ever lived. And he knew this was our fear. He understood with clarity our almost compulsive need to secure ourselves uh, through gathering material things on the earth. To find security in, in, in what we can get and what we can gather. Jesus could see into the human heart. He knew that was our disposition. And yet he understood beautifully that the solution to our anxiety problem is not more money and it is not more stuff. In fact, studies show uh, that typically the more stuff you have, the more anxious you become because you just start worrying over all of your stuff. And at some point, as you begin making money as at a relatively low threshold, uh, money stops adding value to our lives and actually starts adding anxiety to our lives. One of the uh, saddest statistics I found is that people who make over $100,000 a year worry more about their money than those who make less than $100,000. They are more anxious than we are. So the solution isn't more money. If you're in the middle class, if you're in poverty, adding money really does add value to a point. But if you're already middle class, the solution is not more money. 
And the solution is not more stuff. Both of those things have the capacity to increase our anxiety, not decrease it. The solution, Jesus says, is not more stuff and it's not more money. The solution is more trust. The solution is stepping into a carefree unconcern for possessions based on our relationship with the Father. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable to him than they are? It's a good question for us to wrestle with this morning. But it all comes back to trust. If you practice secular minimalism, you will have less stuff, but you may be just as prone to anxiety over tomorrow. However, if you practice biblical minimalism, uh, we are ushered deeper into a relationship of love and trust and dependence with our Heavenly Father. Uh, We learn to come to a place of reliance on him, where we work to be sure, but we work from a place of faith, not frantic distrust. And the only way that we can do this, uh, the only way that we can step out of anxiety and into peace with God is by learning to trust our Heavenly Father. And this is a difficult journey for most of us. Because if we're honest, in our hearts, we want control. We want self-sufficiency. We don't want to trust in somebody who we can't see. We don't want to be dependent on God. We don't want to trust in God's version of the good life, which Jesus is spelling out in the Sermon on the Mount. We want to be independent, self-sufficient, in control, and we want to define the good life for ourselves. Does that sound familiar? This has been the human struggle from the beginning. When you open Scripture, what do you see? In the very opening verses, first chapters, first pages, what we see is an amazing God creating and sustaining all things, creating human beings who are to trust him and his definition of good and evil, his definition of the good life, who are to walk in this intimate, free, open, trust-filled relationship with him. But what do Adam and Eve do? Those of you who know that story, they don't trust in God's version of the good life. They don't trust God to look out for their best interest and provide for them. They take matters into their own hands. They claim dependence. They try uh, to seize control. They attempt self-sufficiency. They try to define the good life for themselves. And, And what happens as they follow that impulse and they take hold of this, this thing that represented independence from God? It says, immediately, After taking it, they realized they're naked. Which is kind of a funny thing for us. Like, how does that work? That you just realize. But but that imagery, what it's getting at, is that they're vulnerable. It's this feeling of vulnerability. It's this feeling of being exposed. Which is the root of, of so much of our anxiety. 
right? It's this overwhelming feeling. I am an exposed, vulnerable person who's outside of the covering of God. Now I have a choice to make. Do I run back under God's covering or do I react to that feeling of vulnerability by running the other way and attempting even more control, attempting even greater self-sufficiency? This is the ultimate human struggle. It started with Adam and Eve, but it hasn't ended. And, and, and so that's, that's the underlying struggle of humanity. And, and we see it playing out throughout Scripture. And, and so what God does is that He reveals Himself and He reveals His character over and over again so that we can see His character and come back into a loving relationship of trust and reliance upon Him. Think about Israel in the desert. Uh, they've just been freed from slavery. They're out in the desert. They're not yet to the promised land. A million people, by some estimates, they have no food, they have no water, they, they have no provisions. They're, they're out there with nothing. And God says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. You can almost hear him in the Exodus saying, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Doesn't your heavenly Father already know what you need? Don't worry about tomorrow. And God provides for them miraculously in the desert, manna from heaven, this sort of bread-like substance that almost appears like dew on the ground in the morning. Uh, but what does God say regarding this manna? He says, just collect enough food for today. Really, God? Because there's a million freed slaves out here who have nothing. Like, if you don't show up tomorrow, we are all going to starve to death. Can't we collect a little more? We have nothing. We are utterly dependent and reliant on you. What's going to happen tomorrow? You can sense the anxiety in their hearts. God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. Just trust me, be with me. I have tomorrow covered. In fact, just to drive the point home, God set things up in such a way that if they collected manna for an extra day, if they collected two days worth of manna other than provision for the Sabbath, if it was a Tuesday and they tried to collect for a Tuesday and a Wednesday, all of it went bad. Just to drive the point home, you cannot collect for tomorrow. I want you to trust me. I want you to be utterly dependent on me for today. Make space in your life for me to demonstrate my character to you. If you collect for tomorrow and the next day and two years in advance, you're not going to make space for me to provide. You won't know my provision. You won't rest in my provision. I, I want you to come into this place of radical trust and freedom instead of worry and anxiety. And Jesus does the same thing with his disciples. 
He wants them to taste this life. He wants them to know this carefree unconcern for possessions. He wants them to trust in God's character and in the radical provision of the Father. In fact, at one point, uh, Jesus sends out his disciples uh, to go and preach uh, the good news from town to town. And he says this, he says, take nothing for the journey except a staff. How's that for minimalism? No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Okay, Jesus, that's a little extreme. What does that have to do with preaching the kingdom? What's, what's the point? Why not bring an extra shirt? Why not bring some spare change just in case? Why not bring some bread for dinner tonight so that we have that covered? Why not? Well, because Jesus was teaching them about God's provision to make space for God to prove himself each and every day. Don't worry about tomorrow. You're carrying such a heavy burden. I didn't ask you to carry that burden. I'm carrying that burden. God's already made provision for tomorrow. It's done. It's taken care of. Jesus frees up his disciples to live lives that are scandalously free from anxiety. And I've been deeply challenged by this in my own minimalism journey. Uh, first off, I'm a planner, uh, not a prepper. That's a little bit different. That's sort of next level. But I'm a planner, okay? I, I like to plan things out in advance. I like to have a plan and, and, and things in motion for, for 10 years from now, for 20 years from now. So I already have that. Uh, in addition to that, I, I think I'm naturally rather prone to anxiety and, and worrying about stuff. And I've had times in my past where my anxiety was so bad that it came to dominate my life. It began to consume me. I, my, my days were just full of, of numb, panicked anxiety. I could barely sleep at night. I've been paralyzed in seasons in the past, debilitated by anxiety and fear and worry. But I've also been deeply challenged by the teachings of Jesus and, and even found myself a challenge through the process of biblical minimalism that I've been on over the course of this last year. Uh, because as Jesus challenged me to let go of my excess material possessions, I began to question and handle each item that I owned. And I realized through that process very quickly that I was hanging on to most of the items that I owned just in case. Just in case. What if I need this tomorrow? What if something happens tomorrow? What if something happens a year from now? What if I get invited to dinner at the White House? Like, won't I need a three-piece suit for that occasion? What if a small house fire burns all 10 of my favorite t-shirts? Won't I need another 10 just in case? 
We have so many things just in case. Why do I have all of my old yearbooks and all my old journals and all my old degrees and boxes and boxes of stuff that I never, ever open or look at? Well, better hold on to it all just in case. And yet I can almost hear the voice of Jesus whispering in the background, do you need it today? Well, no, I don't need it today, Lord, but what if? Shouldn't I store up in barns? Shouldn't I worry about tomorrow? Shouldn't I collect manna for two days or 10 days or 150 days instead of one? And you know what God ultimately exposed in my heart through that process? A desire for control. Because control feels a lot easier than trust. Uh, But the moment that we take that route, the moment that we reach for control and try and seize control, in comes anxiety, in comes worry, in comes this sense that my life is up to me, that my survival is on my shoulders, in comes this feeling of exposure, of nakedness. I'm outside of the covering of God. In fact, I can say something as simple as, you are not in control. You are not in control of your life. And and pay attention to what happens in your heart in that moment. Even as I'm saying that out loud, what happens, like maybe your your, your chest tightens up a bit, your anxiety level starts to rise, what do you mean I'm not in control? And then we have to decide how we react to that. Do we react to that by coming into greater reliance on God who says he's already got provision in place for tomorrow? Or do we run the other way and say, I cannot trust him. I need more control. I need more stored up in barns. I need more worry. I need more anxiety. Every time we hear that, it forces us to go one direction or another. And before we know it, we're often running down the wrong road, grasping for more, storing up in barns, worrying, anxiety. Anything goes wrong, it triggers more anxiety. And and before we know it, uh, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word or the kingdom, making it unfruitful. These are the things that God has been uh, convicting me with. And he's been using physical possessions and my pursuit of simplicity to expose the inner work that he needs to do in my heart. Uh, The issue isn't that I had 35 t-shirts. The issue is that I didn't trust God for tomorrow. The issue was that I wasn't operating out of, out of a place of trust and dependence and a carefree unconcern for possessions based on God's character, based on who he is. It's not based on our projections of, oh, I can let go of this stuff because my employment future looks really good and the stock market is on the up and the economy is doing well. I'm sure I'll be okay. That's not the basis of our trust. That's not why we can release all of our excess. It's based on the character of God. 
Is it sin to own 35 t-shirts? No. But it's sin not to trust in our Heavenly Father. And this is the, the value of biblical minimalism. Uh, God exposed the root of my anxiety. He exposed my own lack of trust. He said, you can trust me for tomorrow and you can let go of all of your excess stuff and, and you can experience more of my presence and more of the joy of the Lord and the freedom from the tyranny of physical stuff. Or you can go the way of Adam and Eve. God gives you the freedom to do that. You can go the way of Adam and Eve. You can take things into your own hands. You can go the way of self-sufficiency and manipulation and control. You can store up for yourselves treasures on earth out of fear. You can trust in your wealth instead of God. But at the end of the day, you're the one who's missing out. That's why he leaves so much freedom for you to do that. If that's what you want, you can go and do that. You're missing out as you go down that road. My wife and I made the decision, we're, we're totally imperfect in this, but we made the decision years ago that we were going to, to come under these teachings of Jesus, that we were going to seek first the kingdom of God and let him take care of the rest. Say, Jesus, we're going to seek after you in, in a radical, abandoned way, and you can provide for us whatever you see fit to provide. We, we kind of took the American dream and, and said, that's not going to rule our lives. We're, we're going to sacrifice that on the altar, so to speak. I have no right to that. I'm, I'm setting all of that aside. Lord, you do whatever you want with our lives as we chase after you. And you know what? He's come through every single time. Years ago, when we lived in Portland, uh, we already had Moses, our firstborn, and we were pregnant with Eli, our second. And one of our neighbors in our apartment complex where we lived uh, was praying one day. And uh, he, he felt that the Lord said to him, I want you to sell your minivan uh, to the Deasons. And, and he said, all right, Lord, how much do you want me to sell it to them for? And he said, uh, less than half price, which made us very excited. Uh, and so he came to us and said, hey, I was praying, I was before the Lord this morning, this is what he said, um, and we, we had been saving up money for a family car, and the amount he wanted to sell it to, to us for was almost the exact dollar amount that we had saved up in our bank account. Um, so, we, so we bought that minivan, and a few months later, we sold off some of our other extra stuff and we packed up the stuff that we still had and um, put it in this minivan and a U-Haul trailer behind the minivan and uh, we left behind everything in Portland. Uh, our extended family, all of our friends, a very high paying job, all the security that comes with that. Uh, we left all of that behind because we sensed God saying, hey, I want you to move to Spokane, Washington and plant a new church. And so we said, all right, Lord, our lives are yours. Wherever you want us to go, we'll go. So we packed up the minivan and a U-Haul trailer and drove our stuff out here uh, and sort of uh, risked everything uh, for his sake. And in the process, uh, there was plenty of opportunity to be fearful. There was plenty of opportunity for anxiety. 
In fact, even as we got about the business of planting this church four years ago, there were multiple times that we got down to our last dollars. So you have a choice to make in those moments. Which direction am I going to go? And we said, no, we're, we're, we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We've heard his voice. We're following the path that he wants us to take. Uh, and, and because we kept our eyes on him and have followed through, we've left space in our lives for God to come through and provide. Over and over again, he's shown himself. He's proven himself. We now experience God's miraculous provision. Have we ever lacked food or housing in the last four years? Never. We've never lacked those things. In fact, after a year of renting, our first year here in the city, God opened the door for us to buy what is essentially our dream house at a very affordable price. We never owned a house before. We didn't know if we would ever own a house but he opened the door, and I don't have time to explain the whole story, but just the way he lined things up down to the minute for us to be the first ones in line, first offer in, and they really, based on the market, should not have accepted our offer, and they did. But just the way he even brought us to that house, um, the, the very hour it was going on the market, it was just crazy. We're like, Lord, how did this happen? This was, it was like an accident. Um, and, and he's provided for over and over again. And so now we have the joy of continuing to follow after Jesus, but we know in our heart of hearts that the vehicle that we drive and the house that we own, well, we don't own it yet, but we're working on it, uh, the house that we make payments on and, and the food that we eat and the clothes that we wear, those things are from him. We have this distinct sense of, Lord, we're just going to seek the kingdom. And we've made space for him to provide for us over and over again. And you know what? If he asks us to give it all up again, we will. Because we trust him. And, and we trust him based on the experience that we've had. We know now. We see it in scripture, but we also know firsthand. No, we can seek first the kingdom of God. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be dominated by fear. We don't have to operate in anxiety. We know him in, in a deeper way because of what we'd allow him to do. <clears throat> After the disciples come back from their kingdom preaching experiment, Jesus circles up with them to debrief and he asks them this question. He says, when I sent you out, Without purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, Lord. We lacked nothing. What an amazing response. They could have said, well, Jesus, it was a little harder than we anticipated. Well, it would have been really nice to have an extra shirt. We lacked nothing. And, and because of the path that we've chosen in following Jesus, my wife and I now have the privilege of being able to stand shoulder to shoulder with those disciples. And, and when Jesus asks us, hey, when I asked you to give up everything, 
and go down to your last dollar and move to a new city and risk everything for my sake? Did you lack anything? My wife and I can say, nothing. Lord, we lack nothing. Why would we worry? Why would we be anxious about tomorrow? You know, my wife and I could have spent the last five years worrying. We could have spent the last five years focused on our fears and our anxieties, but it wouldn't have added anything to our lives. In fact, we would have been at risk of poisoning what I think have probably been the best five years of our entire lives. Could have poisoned that by living in fear and anxiety. If we had lived in fear and anxiety for the last five years, would we have a better house? No. Would we have a better car? No. Would we have more food or better clothes? No. Who by worrying can add a single hour to your life? We're so quick to run to anxiety, and Jesus says it will add nothing. In fact, it can only subtract. It adds nothing to your life. It is a useless exercise in the kingdom of God. It only subtracts. In fact, it has the power to poison the beautiful things that God has given us. Brothers and sisters, one of the greatest decisions that we have to make in our walk with Jesus as we follow after him is will we fear or will we trust? Let's pray. And actually, and as we, as we close this morning, I think what I want to do uh, is just have a moment of reflection uh, Tori, if you can throw those questions up. I want to create some space for us. Nick, you can come back up uh, to just sort of think, meditate, pray, or, or journal around these questions. And Nick's going to play a worship song, but this is a little different than our normal worship. We're actually not going to encourage you guys to stand and sing right now. I just want you to sit and be in the presence of the Lord and listen. And these are the questions. Uh, do I actually leave space for God to demonstrate his provision and character in my life? Uh, number two, what am I clinging to just in case or out of fear for tomorrow? And number three, what do I actually need? And odds are, uh, based on you know the five minutes that we have to do this, the Lord will probably draw your attention to one of those questions this morning, uh, and that's fine. You can sit with one or two and, and just, let's just sit in the presence of the Lord and let him speak to us around these things. So I'm going to say a quick prayer and then uh, we're going to take our time. We're, we're going to sit, we're going to listen, we're going to allow the Lord to speak, to challenge, to bring greater freedom, to break the tyranny of anxiety and our reliance upon material things. So I'll pray. Jesus, we thank you for your life, Lord, in which you taught us so well, in which you showed us what life in the kingdom is like. We thank you for your death, Lord, on the cross, um, that, that all of our sin, our iniquity is taken care of. It's finished. 
And I think of the scripture that's speaking to probably an anxious group of people in the first century. It says, is the one who sacrificed his own son for us not also going to provide everything else we need? Like, how could you make that great a sacrifice, stunning, eternal, in its weight and glory, and then somehow leave everything else up to us? That, that's not who you are, God. So, Father, I pray that you would come this morning, now, uh, begin speaking to us, reveal your character to us, reveal your love to us, whisper to us about what type of life is possible as we trust you and follow after your Son. Come and speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.